Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Ken Rosenthal. Ken is a senior baseball writer for Fox Sports and regular contributor to the MLB Network. You can give Ken a follow on Twitter at Ken underscore Rosenthal. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks, Ross. Well, Ken, we're going to do mostly Hall of Fame talk today, but considering who's appearing on the ballot and what the ballot has become, I think it's important to look at the steroid era itself first. How do you think the writers covered the story as it was happening? Not great, and we all are responsible for that, and we could have done better. That said, I've seen a lot of my colleagues kind of publicly flagellate themselves in print and on the air and saying, oh, we were horrible, we did a horrible job. And while I would acknowledge that, I also would say that, Ross, it was a difficult thing to get your arms around at the time. One, we didn't have full knowledge or even a good understanding of what was going on. And two, the way steroids and ballplayers are talked about today is a lot different than they were talked about back then. If you would have said on talk radio back there, ah, I think this guy's a user or more relevant to me, if I would have said in print something like that, that was grounds for libel. At least that was our perception of it because it was accusing somebody of doing something very serious. And now this stuff gets thrown around and people forget that it wasn't easy to report, even what we did seem to know. So to report a guy was maybe using performance-enhancing drugs you had to have confirmation. You had to have multiple confirmations, and that was a difficult thing to get at the time. It took federal government to out some people. It took some great journalism by guys like Tom Verducci, who, of course, got Ken Caminiti to admit it in Sports Illustrated. But while we didn't do a good job, I would say it wasn't easy to do a good job. That's right. And there needs to be some sort of in-between there. I think right now, the state where we have, where you see people writing columns and people on talk radio, certainly, just accusing people with really no evidence around them, that's wrong. And I think that the tone of the era of the early 90s, where sort of nothing was being said, that was wrong, too. Certainly, the in-between is probably where where we needed to be. Right. Well, it certainly has swung too far the other way. And it really greatly bothers me to see the way some things are written now. And I'll give you an example. Jose Bautista, when he was hot a couple of years ago, somebody basically wrote a column saying, well, here's a guy who's never done it before. It must be steroids. That's ridiculous. There have been guys who have had great late season, late career performances, guys who have turned their careers around to assume that it's simply performance anti-drugs. is unfair and irresponsible. All those bad words you could think of, that qualifies, and yet today that passes for routine journalism. Yeah, and that, you know, great home run spikes have happened throughout the history of the game. Roger Maris, Davey Johnson's, it's happened many, many times. Jose Batista was just another case. I think treating it just as a suspicion, and this is this affects Jeff Bagwell, obviously. I think it's going to affect Mike Piazza this year. If I were Jeff Idelson, if I were someone in charge of the voting process in the Hall of Fame, those two guys would bother me most. Look, we can talk a little bit about the character clause, and we will in a little bit, about whether or not there should exist at all. But there is a character clause, and if you, you are using the character clause, look, there is reasonable uh, evidence to suspect that Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Paul Merrill all use steroids. There is not with Jeff Bagwell or Mike Piazza. They were never the subject of a federal investigation. They weren't named in the Mitchell report. No teammate has ever claimed to have seen them use. No drug dealer has ever claimed to provided them with drugs. I think keeping them out on mere suspicion is a big problem. I 
completely agree, and I could not have said that better. And listen, is it possible that Bagwell and or Piazza both used? Of course. Yep. Is it likely? Maybe it's even likely. I don't know. But that's the point. We don't know. And with the Clemens or the Bonds and the others that you mentioned, we have knowledge to varying degrees. Clemens, to some, is kind of in the same position as Bagwell. Nothing's ever been proven about him. He was accused by a guy with not much credibility. So, okay, we can make that case. But when you're talking about a guy where there's nothing, that, to me, is a real problem. I did not vote for that person because you think, as a writer, that he used, and maybe even somebody told you that he used, but you haven't printed it. That, to me, is just dead wrong. What do you think we know about steroids in terms of how much they actually increase performance? We don't know, and that's one of the many problems with this whole situation. But to people who say, well, we don't know, so we can't judge, I would disagree with that because players would not have used these drugs if they were mere placebos, if they were getting nothing out of them. They're called performance enhancers for a reason. So while we can argue and certainly question the effect and exactly what happened, it's not in dispute that the players use them to enhance their performance. And the people who kind of challenge that, and often I find it's some of the sabermetric folks that challenge everything about this. No, that I don't buy at all. They guys, the players, they knew what they were doing. They were not using these drugs simply to look better. They were using it to enhance their performance. I agree. And it's one of those things where we don't know how much steroids actually increase performance, or HGH for that matter. I think that perhaps the effects have been overstated, but I do think it's a performance enhancer. Whether or not they, whether or not we were able to prove that it had zero impact, the players still thought it did. And I think that's the important thing. We, I think we found out that corking a bat really does nothing. But the players who did it certainly thought it did. Right. And in this case... I think there is more impact than that. Now, you can say maybe it was overstated, and that certainly is debatable. We don't know. But there was a reason those guys were doing these things. And mm-hmm. that, for both pitchers and hitters, there was an effect. And they were getting and deriving an effect, a positive effect in their view, in terms of their performance. And again, that's why they used it. Ken, isn't that also true with players of the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who were using amphetamines? Weren't they using drugs because they thought they were increasing their performance? I do draw a distinction there, and it's a very fair question to ask. And in the sheer general definition of performance enhancers, I guess amphetamines would fall into that. But in my view, the steroids, the HGH, those types of things, they not only enhanced performance, they warped it. Where, as amphetamines, and I know this is maybe cutting a very fine line, amphetamines merely increase energy. I don't know that they increase actual physical strength or anything like that vision that steroids, in some cases, enhance. So to me, there is a distinction. I know there is or are a lot of people who dispute that, but that is my personal feeling. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to draw that line. I think that the ethical difference could possibly become uh, that steroids, while certainly there was a culture where steroid use was not only overlooked, but I think you can make a case that it was encouraged. Amphetamines were certainly encouraged, but they weren't always illegal. They were illegal for part of the time where people were using them. Certainly when they were prescription drugs, if they were prescribed and you're using a drug that's not prescribed to you, that's illegal. I think the steroid users at least knew what they were doing was illegal. I think that is a difference there, but I think ethically they were both trying to take pills to increase performance. I think 
the intent right. behind and, it and is I'm exactly the same. Is, I don't, yeah, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is the level and the impact that steroids have, in my view, and this is not a scientific view, I will admit that, is greater and had a greater effect on the game than the amphetamines. Can't prove it. It's just my feeling. Yeah, and it's one of those things. It's an unknown. And it's one of those right. things that bothers me about how everything is being handled with the Hall of Fame and with the steroids right now is that too much is being put on the unknown. Mark McGuire, we know, used steroids because he's admitted them. Uh, to what a degree they helped hit him hit home runs, we don't know. How many home runs would he have hit if he never used? We don't know. How healthy would he have been if he never used? We have no idea. To me, the approach would be let's acknowledge both. Mark McGuire was one of the best power hitters of all time. He also used steroids. Why can't the Hall of Fame just acknowledge both? Well, they certainly could. And at some point, one of these players most likely will get in, right? And will it be on their plaque? No, I doubt it would be on their plaque. But at the same time, I also think that people who are aware and understand the history of the game and the history of the era are going to notice. It's not a big secret. So there'll always be that stain to a certain degree. But at the same time, when you're a voter, and the character clause does exist. It is a difficult decision to make whether you should invoke that in this regard. I don't believe, as some of my colleagues do, that you can just say, it's all an unknown, we should not acknowledge it. I've written this, I believe that's a cop-out. I believe that's almost going back to the ignorance of when we were not writing about this kind of thing. Much different situation, of course, journalism versus a Hall of Fame vote. But it's a willful head in the sand. And in my view, something went down in that era. Now, we don't know exactly what it is, but stuff went down. And if, as a voter, you feel that that should impact your vote because of the character clause, I have no problem with that. I also have no problem with the other way. It's such a personal thing. But my feeling is it had an effect, and I vote for the moment accordingly. Do you think the character clause should exist? As a voter... That's not my problem. As a voter, my problem is that the character clause does exist. And somebody asked me today, and this is a great question, Ron. All right, let's say it didn't exist. Would you still vote the same way? And I might, because ultimately, if it doesn't exist, we're talking about performance. And is it is a performance enhanced by performance-enhancing drug use? And would that affect the way I vote? It probably could. But what the character clause does is it gives you the subjective license to make these wide-ranging judgments, which people may view as fair or unfair, but the character clause being in there allows you to do that. And I don't think there's any question about that. Though some of my colleagues say, no, we're not judging jury. I say we are judging, judging jury. We have the vote, and this clause exists. I agree. Well, you certainly are judge and jury. That's obviously what you're asked to do here. I have a, a few problems with the character clause. One is that I think the concept of writers deciding morality or character is appalling. I just can't get behind that. I can understand that. I, I think another concept of the character clause, and we're just starting to see this this year, is that no one has ever gotten in, no borderline candidate has ever gotten in because they have had good character. That's true. But at the same time, perceived bad character has not kept guys out until now. That's the other point, is that the character clause has never been an issue until right now. The first guy, the guy in the original class of the Hall of Fame that got the highest percentage of the votes is the worst person in the Hall of Fame in Ty Cobb. Right. That the That's character true. clause has never been 
never been used from year one until now, except now it is being used. And I think that's where people are saying there's a conflict. I understand that, and that's certainly a fair point to make. My answer to that is, well, should we just simply, because of mistakes that have been made in the past, follow the same formula? And I don't know that that's necessarily true. It's not necessarily true in the way we judge players by performance now with the advanced statistics and the knowledge that we've gained through sabermetrics. So why should I be bound? Because voters did not acknowledge Ty Cobb for what he was and vote that way. Why should that prevent me from voting the way I feel instinctively in my heart about some players? I don't believe that the past should prohibit writers from making judgments in the future. I, I believe that not with just regards to what I'm saying, with performance managers, but also just sheer performance. Burt Blylevin, classic example. Burt Blylevin, by the old standards of how we voted, wins and ERA was not appreciated the way he was later after sabermetrics came into play and the arguments came into the public eye about all of the peripheral statistics and just the greater appreciation of what he did, and then he became a Hall of Famer. That is an evolution of thought. Now, I'm not suggesting, well, I guess I am to some degree, that it's an evolution of thought to use the character clause now and not then. All I'm saying is I don't care what mistakes were made in the past or, what, or how voters voted in the past. I have to vote on now what I feel is proper and correct. Let's play a hypothetical game for a moment, and let's say the Hall of Fame was going to eliminate everyone that's in, and they were going to start over. And they asked you to be a part of the voting process, but they kept the character clause intact. The voting process remains exactly the same, except you're putting you're voting on everyone who is uh, in the history of the game. Would you vote for Ty Cobb? It's a great question, Ross. I've never even entertained it, and I generally don't answer hypotheticals like that because I don't even answer the hypothetical of who are you voting for next year because I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to duck the question, and it's certainly fair, but it's again. To some degree, I'm only dealing, and I only have to deal with what is in front of me. And that's why we can ask, why don't you look at it the way writers looked at Psychop back then? It doesn't even affect me. I'm just looking at what I have in front of me now and trying to make the best decision I can based on what I know now. I effectively ducked that one. Yeah, that was a that was a solid duck right there. I'm going to ask you two more questions before I wrap it up entirely. I saw you on MLB Network recently within the last few days discuss how you don't plan to vote for players of the steroid era, uh, regardless if you think they've used or not their first year on the ballot. Can you explain that decision process? Yeah, and I've said there are exceptions to that I've made in the past and maybe exceptions in the future, and this is something that I may need to rethink, quite frankly. But my general feeling was, a couple of years ago when this first became an issue, there were guys in the ballot, that I was going to distinguish from, well, distinguish the players of today in a dubious era from the players of the past who were, in my view, not in a dubious era, even with the amphetamines. So I decided I was not going to vote for players on the first ballot because that was my way of distinguishing. Now, if I felt everyone would do that, guys wouldn't get 5%. I would not do this. That would be counterproductive. But that was my feeling. And to those who say, well, Ken, that's ridiculous. It's unfair to the players who did not use. My answer was, hey, they were all part of the union. The union had the right to and the power to enact change. And for so many years did not. And it's not until the government pressured the entire sport did the sport wake up to take care of drug testing. 
that's my feeling. I know it's controversial. I know people say, well, how can you not vote for Pia- Piazza and Biggio this year? And it's fair. And it's going to come up again next year with Maddox. So maybe the solution is I have to drop this notion. But that is where it came from. Well, not only Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, I think, you know, we all know is an obvious Hall of Famer. But there's another guy coming on the ballot next year that I think tests this theory, and that's Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas had a Hall of Fame caliber career, but Frank Thomas was also the only active player who cooperated with the Mitchell Report. Frank Thomas voluntarily testified in front of Congress. Frank Thomas, I believe, was quoted alongside Tony Gwynn in, a, in an article in 93 or 95 in the San Diego Tribune where they both said that steroids and PDs were becoming a problem in baseball. There's the guy, the only active player who cooperated with the Mitchell Report, a guy who has been adamant against steroid use, who has been vocal and an early whistleblower. Why hold it against him? Well, I've got two choices here, right? One would be to make the exception for him and maybe Maddox as well, which is something I've done in the past and something I basically said I will do, or simply abandon this and not use the first ballot thing anymore, and I will take one of those two choices. Can your ballot this year, Tim Raines, Alan Trammell, Edgar Martinez, Jeff Bagwell, Fred McGriff, and Lee Smith. Fred McGriff's not a guy that's getting a lot of support. Tell me what you see in Fred McGriff. I know he's not getting a lot of support, but two things about him. One, if he had seven more home runs, yet finished his career with 493, he would get more support. He'd be a 500 homer guy, and that generally until this era has been the magic number. That's one thing. The other thing is, when you look at OPS plus, OPS, some other stats, he had Eddie Murray. Now, Eddie Murray had a longer career, amassed greater counting stats, but McGriff, in that light, to me, really looks favorable. And I always thought of him as a guy who didn't bring much attention to himself, but was consistent, steady, year after year after year. And he might not have been the greatest defender. Okay. But I compare him to Murray, and I just see a guy who is the equivalent or maybe even a little above. No, he's not perceived that way, to be sure. And that's why I give him my vote. The interesting thing with Fred McGriff, I, I wouldn't vote for McGriff, but I think he's a lot closer than even wins above replacement would indicate. And what I think is interesting, McGriff, and you talk about things that are unknown and you can't prove for sure, I tried to look into this. Players who were affected from a Hall of Fame standpoint by steroid use. And this assumes that Fred McGriff was clean. Right. If Fred McGriff was clean, which I suspect that he was, I haven't heard anything, he was perhaps affected from a Hall of Fame standpoint by the steroid era more than anyone else. When you look at what he was his first year in the majors, his first full season until 1994, he was one of the top 10 players in the league and one of certainly one of the top 10 hitters in the league. After that, when offense exploded, he had a normal career trajectory or at least a traditional career trajectory where his numbers were, were good and then went on a steady decline and then had, you know, one more good year and then went declined. Had he done this in a league where everyone else was doing this? I think we would be looking at him as not only a Hall of Famer, but perhaps an obvious Hall of Famer. And it's a shame that I do think that the deserving PD guy should be in. I think that the Hall of Fame needs to represent the generations equally. I think ignoring a generation of players is bad for the game, bad for the museum. And you ignore a generation of players, in the end, you're going to ignore a generation of fans. It's a shame that if Fred McGriff would have been a Hall of Famer had the league not succumbed to steroids, it's a shame to keep him out because of that. Well, that's... One of the many, many vexing questions that this whole era has raised, and it's so difficult. And I've seen people write of late, oh, the writers are drama queens, these guys handling and all that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. I don't expect people would be too happy if 
we were flippant with our decisions. But it is really difficult. And when you say, Ross, that the generation should not be ignored or underrepresented or however you want to phrase it, I look at that and I say, I agree with that. I don't see how, as a museum, you can look at the Hall of Fame and not have players like Bonds and Clemens included, and not just included in the history, but included as members of the Hall of Fame. That's the one thing, and I wrote this in my most recent column about this. I gave several reasons why I don't feel comfortable voting for these players, and then in the end of the column, I said, hey, this is the one thing that gives me pause, the idea of wiping out a generation. I don't think that's proper. Yet, I don't know the answer. And you talk about McGriff. That is just one individual player that raises questions, and he has no saying about him, that are uncomfortable and difficult to answer. You can't really get your arms around it. You can't say he's a Hall of Famer because he didn't use PEDs, because we don't know that. You can't say he's a Hall of Famer because his numbers look better when compared to what happened in the steroid era. It's just all of these things are sort of unanswerable, and that's what makes the process so trying right now. Ken, do you think there are already players in the Hall of Fame who use steroids? Yeah, I bet there are. And don't ask me to name names. I don't know. <laughs> you're asking point blank, is it possible that one guy in the Hall of Fame used steroids? If we don't know that. I would say that's certainly possible. Ken, I'm going to wrap it up with this. What are you accomplishing by keeping the deserving PED guys out? My feeling is that it's a bad message. And I know messages could be misconstrued, and I love this, that I hate when people say, uh, what about the children? What kind of message are you sending to the children? <laughs> but at the same time, as sanctimonious as that question is, I have a hard time in my head envisioning Barry Bonds standing up there, taking his plaque, giving a speech, it doesn't, there's something about that that doesn't seem right. So, in my view, it's not a question of what are we accomplishing or what is the purpose. When I look at the ballot, when I make my decisions, I'm just voting on what I think is proper. Now, there are after effects and there is an impact to what I do and what all the others vote, other voters do, and that's something to keep in mind, no question. But I don't ask that question in quite the way you phrased it. What are we accomplishing by doing this? I'm just asking should this guy be in the Hall of Fame? You've been listening to Ken Rosenthal. Ken is a senior baseball writer for Fox Sports and regular contributor to MLB Network. You can give Ken a follow on Twitter at Ken underscore Rosenthal. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks a lot. Take care.